anyway, that's what's coming up. Um, Operations Christmas Child. So, um, more information, check out the website. You can always just message us on Facebook or YouTube, call. Um, again, we'll have contacts, email us, uh, stop by, whatever you guys want to do. All right. Well, let's get into um, this morning's teaching. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19, so let's go before the Lord and we'll pick it up there in verse 1. Father, we do thank you for the opportunities that you give us to share the good news. And though most of us probably won't ever be able to leave and go very far, certainly not go into the remote places that those shoeboxes um, are able to go. And uh, But yet, Father, we can we can travel there through our prayers and through through our giving um, and have a great impact in, in a place maybe we'll never see this side of eternity, Lord. Um, and we're thankful you for that. We're thankful that you work in ways that way. And there are people that, that want to reach out and uh, dedicate their time and their lives to doing that. Um, and then we can just be an encouragement and a support to them. And uh, Lord, I know one day we'll see how valuable and how rewarding that is when, when we're welcomed into heaven. Uh, but until that day, Father, may we just continue to uh, you know, just trust you and walk in faith and Lord, uh, follow your leading. And now as we just uh, spend time in your word this morning, Lord, we ask again that you would just do that great work through our hearts and our minds as we come to hear and sit before you, Lord. So bless this time, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, we are coming to closer to the end of the Gospel of Luke. And as we talked about last time, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. By the time we get to the uh, middle of the chapter, we're going to be into the triumphal entry, we call it, or Jesus' presentation uh, of, of presenting himself as Messiah, as King, which is probably more, more accurately than a triumphal entry. But uh, uh, he's just fulfilling the prophecy, being recognized for the first time in that public way, fulfilling the scriptures that are long talked about. So he's heading that way. Now remember said Jericho, if you look on our map, is about 15 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus is going to come through the, the door uh, on, uh, come through to the city on, a, on, a, on the first day of the week, so a Sunday morning or, or a Sunday. So he's making his way from Jericho to Jerusalem. Um, and we left off last time with, as he was in, Jer- in Jericho, he healed this blind man, and there was two of them actually screaming out. One of them we know, was his name was Bartimaeus, and we talked about him last time. But Jesus now, as he's you know, coming through and then leaving Jericho, he's not done. He has some more work that he, he's going to be doing here in Jericho before we read his uh, entry into Jerusalem in that final week before the crucifixion. So... Uh, Again, verse 1 of Luke chapter 19 says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, as as most of you probably know by now and (laughs) about me, I, I really do enjoy 
uh, history. Uh, I really do. In fact, at one point, I, I wanted to teach history uh, many years ago. But uh, I think it's important that we just spend a little time on uh, just a, a little background of, of tax collector here because it's just important to the story. Now, um, nobody likes the tax man, generally speaking, right? Because quite frankly, right, we whatever we get paid or whatever we earn, we, we would like to keep it all. And of course, you know, if you read your paycheck stubs and you see all that they take out and, and then you see what you get at the end, it does get a little disheartening. And, and as a matter of fact, the more you work, the more they take out and it seems to be the less you get. <laughs> so we all understand the tax man, right, to a certain uh, uh, degree. But, uh, but again, I think most of us would sit down and realize, okay, some of that tax money is a benefit to me and to the population, right? It provides certain things, although some of them in California, as we were reading this morning, were are quite crazy, but I won't digress into that way, right? But, um, you know, nobody really in general likes the tax man. It's just even in our society. As a matter of fact, I heard the man who walked into the IRS tax audit and sitting across the table was a the IRS man, and then, a, and a, and then a, this person in a, kind of in a nurse's outfit. And she was there with a syringe, and, and the guy coming in for the audit's like, you know, gives him a look like, what's going on? And, and, and she holds up the needle, the tax man said to her, well, he's just gonna, she's just gonna numb that area around your wallet. <laughs> so, sorry, I know, bump, bump, right? But, uh, you know, that's what we kind of feel about the tax man coming in and, and taking it, um, but the Romans did it, did it a, a, a little different. Well, maybe a lot different. Uh, the further you kind of got outside the empire, uh, Italy itself, Rome specifically, right? The further you kind of moved out, um, collecting taxes for the Roman government uh, became left up to the provincial leaders. So, i.e., let's say you know, in Jesus' case, there was. Uh, Herod's grandson and, you know, Pilate and some of those other ones that had rule over territory. And it was these territorial um, provincial governors that pretty much had uh, the responsibility to collect taxes. And what they would do then is they would turn and sell every couple of years, um, uh, have an auction to see who would pay the most to raise taxes. So people would say, okay, you know, the, the Rome wanted a certain percentage, whatever that might be, and I heard all sorts of numbers. But typically, if you're closer to the center of the empire, around the first century, a little before, you know, it was maybe 3%. It wasn't a whole lot of money. As it moved out, maybe 10% of, of uh, you would be taxed on your property and all that you had um, for rough numbers. And, and again, that... That was pretty much what Rome wanted. But what they would do is they would put these uh, people to collect taxes. They, the governors would say, okay, well, how much you know, are you going to give the empire to collect taxes? And they kind of auction it off. And of course, obviously, if you won the auction, then you could collect the taxes, which led to a lot of corruption, okay? Uh, and quite frankly, the empire, the Roman empire, wanted hard currency. They weren't interested in you bringing in your crops or bringing in some of your livestock or 
you know, bringing in some of the fruit you grew or this or that or whatever you might did. They wanted hard currency. So another job of the tax collector was to take um, whatever the people brought in to pay their tax, fish, let's say you're a fisherman or whatever, and convert it to currency to give it to, you know, the Roman governors who would pass it on to Rome because they didn't want a bunch of produce and fish and sheep and whatever you grew or took care of or however you earned a living or made furniture or whatever it might be. So you could see a lot of the corruption in there. They could they could ask for more. They could say that the grain that you're giving, even though it's a tenth, is not the same value. Um, they could uh, charge them more. They could say that's not enough. I mean, there was plenty of corruption going on in that. It was known to be a very corrupt system. And again, uh, because of that, it, it, and because of the corruption that was just involved, the tax collectors were, were just hated. They were, they were just hated. They could, whatever they could wring out of the, you imagine if somebody, you sat down with the, the tax man and he started saying, well, you should pay this, this, and this, and everything that he says that you owe went into his pocket right? You would, how would you feel about that guy? It's not like, well, here's the law, and this is what you're supposed to do. It's like, well, you should do this, this, and this, and he was able to keep that, um, that money. I used to get accused of that, which is kind of similar, but not, I guess, so much. But, you know, when you work for the state and you issue fines to companies, you know, they used to always, a lot of people still get mad, and they'll say to you, ah, you're just you're just paying for your own job. You know what I mean? You're just putting that money so that you could pay, you know, pay for your own job. And of course, for California, it goes into the general fund. It doesn't go into our particular department. But uh, you know, people like to think that you're making something out of it and that's why you're doing it. And, and so there becomes this, this anger and this bitterness and, and people would take advantage of that, of course. And we see here in verse two that he was the chief tax collector and that he was rich. Um, uh, and again, he'll even admit how bad he was in a little bit when we get to that. But he was a chief guy. So he had other, he was, he was in charge and, and probably won that auction for that whole Jericho area in that region, which by the way is quite prosperous. It was a, an oasis and they did grow a lot of date palms there. They grew different crops there because there was um, um, uh, the water there. It was, it was a pretty wealthy area. So in other words, he was able to make a lot of money because there was money being made there by the people that lived in that area. And again, he was uh, at the top of the pile for the Jericho area. It was very profitable and he was very rich and probably very ruthless, as, as we'll see here. Now, just as a funny side note, and don't take this wrong, but I, I was kind of looking at my notes yesterday when I was doing, um, when I was uh, preparing for the sermon, I, and I just uh, looked up something, and I noticed the, the example that I used 10 years ago, no, in 2010 was the last time I actually taught through this passage, <laughs> um, and the person that I used as an example was, anybody want to guess? Donald Trump. <laughs> this is long before he went into politics. But he was known as a, 
pretty unscrupulous and pretty wheeler dealer uh, kind of. Uh, I, I, I'm not talking about what you thought of him as president and all this kind of stuff because this was years before he entered into politics, right? 2010. But anyway, I thought it was. I don't know why I'm mentioning it. I thought it was pretty funny. I kind of got to chuckle myself. But, you know, he was known, and he's not obviously one, just the one that I happen to cite for an example, that he was, um, you know, taking advantage, wheeling and dealing and doing this. And anyway, let's move past all that. But he was not liked. He was very rich. And remember, he had the Roman government backing them. So if he wanted to collect taxes, you know, there was Roman soldiers that could enforce what he asked to be done. So, you know, there really wasn't any room for argument with the people at all. So kind of get that out of your mind that Romans would, would back up these tax collectors because they were their, their official guys. And let's face it, they wanted to get the money. So I, I say all this and spend all that time on that knowing just how, just to give you a sense of how the people in that community thought of Zacchaeus, okay? So Jesus is going through, enters Jericho, he's passing through, uh, we are introduced to Zacchaeus, and then verse 3 said, And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So we ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now, I, I just think this is one, you know, and if, if the song goes through your mind right now, you can get it out, you know. That little children's song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up. Okay, you remember that song? <laughs> he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as he, anyway, you guys remember the song, right? Okay. So, okay, the song is pretty much the story here. But, you know, maybe you've thought of that song or you heard of that song. But just know this. He wanted to see Jesus. Now, this is a guy known as being a sinner, known as being corrupt, not liked by pretty much anybody. And he knew Jesus was coming into town. Now, you can see, as we talked about last week with blind Bartimaeus and everything, there was just so many people coming through. He was obviously a pretty short guy. And uh, if you've lined up to see a parade in the street or in some way, and, and there's people in front of you and and you're, you know, that's why a lot of parents put their children on their shoulders, right? To see over the people in front so they could see a parade if you're watching a 4th of July parade or a Thanksgiving Day parade or whatever, Rose Parade kind of a thing going on here. Uh, but he couldn't do that. Yet, um, uh, he wanted to see Jesus. And again, I, it doesn't tell us why, but we know that there was a reputation that, you know, that Jesus was called the, the friend of sinners and tax guys. Uh, uh, the King James uses the term publican, which is kind of a, you know, kind of a transliteration of, of the Latin word for that tax collector. So uh, if you're used to hearing that word publican. But, um, you know, he heard maybe he sat down, he's had meals, maybe he had heard of that. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't really tell us. But something was working in his heart. And he wanted to see Jesus. Now, again, um, this is a guy that is probably one of the mo more wealthy, if not one of the wealthiest people in the whole community there, wanted to see Jesus, uh, and yet he is willing to 
cut, okay, he's gonna, here's the main path through town, he's gonna be heading this way, I'm just gonna get ahead of the crowds, and I'm gonna climb up into a tree uh, enough where I can be over everybody's head so I can see Jesus pass by. Now, back to my illustration, can you imagine Donald Trump doing that, <laughs> right? It's just way out of place. You wouldn't think uh, a wealthy uh, man, although he wasn't like, so not people aren't going to part the way for him to so give him a good spot, but yet, can you imagine somebody willing to do that? Just to see Jesus, they're going to a man, and probably an older man, is willing to climb up a tree just to see Jesus pass by. And I, and I, and I point this out, and I, and I make this a point, is because I think we really see that childlike faith that we talk about in the gospel. And we, you know, Jesus talked about coming as a little child. Remember, we've talked about that a number of times through the gospel. Jesus has said that. As a matter of fact, I'll put up here, you know, uh, not too many weeks ago when we were in Luke at chapter 18, last chapter, you remember when Jesus said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And I think, you know, here's a great example of that because just a grown man and especially a wealthy man who probably had nice clothes on and, you know, already pretty much had probably everything he wanted materially was willing to do something that a kid would do. Now, you could expect a kid to climb up in the tree just to get a good spot because they're little and they can climb a tree pretty easy and nobody's going to give it a second look about a child or a young man or young girl climbing a tree, uh, even a teenager, to, to get a better view, right? But a guy like this? Way out of place. And again, I, I think this is just a, a good illustration of that. He, he is not worrying about what other people think. And how they might respond, like, what's this old guy who's got all this money and look at all these fine clothes and he's got everything he wants. What, what's he doing? You know, what is he doing? Making fun of him in some way or putting him down or thinking that he's ridiculous or this or that. It was a very childlike heart, a simple one. I don't care what you think or what they think or what it looks like to anything else. I, I want to see Jesus. I, I want to see him pass by. And, you know, I, I, I'm not worried about all that kind of stuff. You know, little children, when you talk to them, how they'll be straight up and honest, right? They'll just tell you, you know, there's just that sim simplicity to them. They're not worried about all those other filters and as what happens as we, as we grow older. And Zacchaeus is just doing that, completely out of place. Again, just picture whoever, you pick some guy, uh, Warren Buffett climbing up in a tree to see Jesus, right? right? You know, 80-whatever-year-older. Pick some other guy, you know, some Silicon Valley guy. Uh, Mark Jeff Bezos climbing up in a tree, right? You're like, well, I'm too dignified to climb up. You've got to be kidding me, right? But this is this childlike faith, this childlike attitude, if you would. And he doesn't get caught up in the peer pressure or the pride of it all. He just wants to see Jesus. And then verse 5 says, and when Jesus came to that to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. 
<laughs> I don't know. I put that picture up there because maybe that just helps you give you some sense. But so, you know, he's up on the tree. Jesus is coming through. There's these huge crowds, you know, lining the street. And the picture probably doesn't really accurately reflect that. But, you know, here's Jesus, what he's waiting for. He's up there. He's looking down. Here's Jesus. And then rather just, you know, going like this and watching him go by because he's finally seeing him. You know, Jesus walks up, stops, looks up at him and says to Zacchaeus, I'm inviting myself over for lunch. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> I want to go to lunch, uh, you know, at your place. I, I just, just really find this amazing. Again, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but as soon as Jesus reaches that tree, he stops. Because, see, in Zacchaeus' mind, he was looking to see Jesus, but he had no idea that Jesus was really looking for him. And I find that to be the way of the Lord, don't you? You know, no matter, um, he, he's just always looking out. Everybody in the community would have saw Zacchaeus up in the tree, looked at him and either hated him because of what he had done or how he had treated them or treated people that he knew or because of, you know, his job that he did. And, and then they would add ridicule on top of that. Here's this grown man who, you know, this, that and whatever and is high and mighty and he's up in some tree. I, I mean, uh, again, uh, uh and they would have just made fun of him at best and hated him even more at worst, right? And he figured he'd just get a look at Jesus. But Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. He is looking out for the lost. Remember that about our Lord and Savior. No matter who they are, Jesus is looking to save people, to connect with people, to have a relationship with people no matter where they come from or where they've been or what they're doing. As a matter of fact, I love how J. Vernon McGee uh, um, put it here. He said, Our Lord didn't stop at the mayor's house. He, didn't, he did not stop at the home of a Pharisee who would be a respected religious leader, a pastor, a priest or somebody. He did not stop at the home of any prominent person. He was going home with a publican or a tax collector. Again, that's our modern way of saying the word publican. I, I really like that, don't you? Um, you know, because most of us would have been like everybody else in the crowd. I really believe that. Most of us would have gotten this wrong. This is the last guy that if Jesus had to talk to anybody and spend time with anybody and hang out with anybody, this guy would be probably at the bottom or close to the bottom of anybody's list, right? The guy is a cheat. The guy is no good. The guy is business practices are unscrupulous to say the least. He, uh, you know, is willing to work with the Romans who, you know, uh, who have no love for us and he doesn't love our people. I mean, you know, what do they call it? Xenophobia <laughs> today, right? Or, or whatever else, right? I mean, this guy would be on the bottom of a list, but that's not Jesus. He's, he's not visiting the dignitaries and the rich and the famous and the who's who of everybody likes and the prominent people, the successful people in that sense. No, 
he is working in this man Zacchaeus' life, but not his alone. Others will be at his house, and of course, even others will see the results of what the Lord does in the life of Zacchaeus as a result. But he is starting there. And so as he comes through town and he stops and he looks up in this tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. We're going to have some chow over at your house. And uh, yes, and Jesus invited himself over for dinner. So if I ever do that to you, don't get offended. I'm just doing what no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? He's inviting himself over. Now, flip your mind back to Zacchaeus. All she really wanted to kind of do was see Jesus. And, and, and he obviously knew something was special about Jesus. It, it doesn't give us any more detail. So anything I add to you is, is just, you know, speculation. But, you know, there is some sense that he, he was willing to risk humility and look funny and all that stuff just to see Jesus. So he, he, he did want to have some sort of connection in some sense, although I don't believe he knew exactly what it was. And when Jesus said, hey, uh, come on down, hurry up, come on down, let's go to your house and let's have, let's have dinner together or let's have lunch together. Now, Zacchaeus could have responded in a number of ways, but verse 6 tells us, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. I don't know about you, but the picture kind of runs through my mind, and I see this kind of older guy in nice clothes kind of sliding down the trunk or one of the branches that he was on and then sliding down the trunk and kind of fumbling, getting to his feet there because Jesus told him to hurry up and get down, and I think he was literally going to hurry up and get down. And, uh, you know, he didn't worry about uh, being called out because, again, maybe some people didn't, even see him up on that tree because they're looking at Jesus and the crowd's over here, down here. He's up here and maybe he thought he could just, you know, see without really being noticed too well. But there's no way that everybody doesn't notice right now that Jesus is calling him openly and publicly. And, uh, you know, again, uh, he where he is and he's willing to come down and um, and Jesus is not ashamed to connect with him, nor to go over to his house to have a meal. Remember, this is a, probably pretty close to number one hated guy in the whole area, or at least not liked by many, uh, and uh, probably disliked by many, and probably hated by quite a few as well. And yet Jesus is not ashamed to connect with him. And Zacchaeus doesn't seem to be embarrassed about what he's doing or what's going on at all. He kind of just slides down and, okay, you want to come over? Great. I'm shimmying down the tree. And as soon as he got to the bottom, Jesus wants to come to my house. Notice that it says, and he received him joyfully. There wasn't anything embarrassing about it or worrying about what other people thought or worrying, worrying about this or that or anything else. Jesus wants to come over and spend time with me. Man, best day ever, right? He received him joyfully. And I think we can see this move in Zacchaeus becoming a, a new person, right? Because he didn't care about anything else, what people thought, where he was, what he was doing, what Jesus might say, what they might not say. He, he was just joyful that Jesus wanted to spend time with him. 
He was just excited by that. He was joyful. He was blown away by it. Wow, that's great. Okay. Now turn back your mind to the crowds now. All the people that have lined up on the street to see Jesus and probably saw him heal blind Bartimaeus, all those people that are with him that have come down, that, that saw all these things. As you go back to that map, remember there was many that followed Jesus, and I imagine thousands are, are following Jesus. There's many thousands in and around Jericho that are lined up to see him. And uh, again, they're all, all a part of that. And just think to all these crowds that are there, and particularly the crowds that are lining the streets to see Jesus. Now, remember, these are the people that just saw maybe moments earlier, minutes earlier, uh, they had witnessed a blind man named Bartimaeus being healed, right? And remember what we read about that last time, if you, you know, want to look up at the end of chapter 18 there, they saw him being healed, and you notice what the result does of with all the crowd seeing what Jesus did in this blind Bartimaeus life, from being blind to giving sight, you notice that they were all praising God for it. So the people that were following Jesus, the people that were living around the town, they saw that, and everybody was just blown away and praising God, right? Amazing, blown away, just giving as they should, right? But how do they respond now? The same, the same crowd. How do they respond to the next thing Jesus does, which is to have lunch with this guy Zacchaeus and whoever he invites over with him, all his other tax collector buddies, right? How do they respond to the next thing Jesus does? Verse seven tells us. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. <laughs> Not moments earlier, and maybe a half an hour earlier. I don't know how long it is. I'm just saying, but not much earlier, right? They're praising God at what, oh man, Jesus, you're the best. I can't even believe it. I've never seen a blind guy see. It's miraculous. You're of God. It's great. The praises are going up. Everybody's just blown away. And then a short time later, all of a sudden, the crowd is like, man, that Jesus is messed up going to lunch with a guy like that. How could he go to lunch with that guy? I mean, I can see him going to lunch with them and them and this guy and my house and this and that and, you know, this and that. We're simple folks and these guys are prominent and these guys are very religious and these guys are whatever. Well, uh, but oh man, going with this guy, they're complaining at what Jesus is doing. They're, they're bad mouthing him, if I could say, we'd say it today, right? But here's the important thing I want us to learn out of this. That's the way the crowd always is. They love you one minute and they're mad at you the next. Just remember that. That's why, you know, you see famous people go crazy. And I don't think a lot of us get it too much because however they got their fame, whether it was in the Olympics or they had some weird video they posted up that went viral or they can sing or act or dance or whatever, however they got their fame, their whatever minute of fame, right? Because one minute, 
they're famous and they got the a crowd and the applause and people are calling them and the view wants to do an interview and CNN wants to have a roundtable talk with them or whatever it is, right? Or replay their video on the news or blah, 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 whatever it is. And one minute you're like on top of the world and then the next thing comes along or they don't like what you do next or say next after that and then it's all gone. And then these people are scrambling to get it back, right? Well, how do I get back to being in in the you know the news cycles and being famous and being recognized and getting my numbers up on social media and all this kind of stuff and people go crazy to try to get back in there you know actors and act actors and actresses and you know you know musicians and groups and all those kind of things and and social media people are trying to stay relevant and doing this and of course it's not limited to them politicians and companies and people Uh, you know, do that all the time, right? They conduct polls and surveys. What do people like? Well, that's what I'm going to say as a politician. I'm behind this because, well, 85% of the people that we polled said that they like this, so I'm going to support this, right? You see how it is all the time. Companies do this. What should we do? Um, you know, let's take the poll and, and follow along with people like and dislike, and let's find out what the next hit's going to be on social media, And, um, and again, people can just chase that in our own minds, think that. Just, I, you know, whatever the crowd is saying, whatever people are saying, uh, you know, I allow it to influence me. And again, um, the bandwagon effect, you know, just fall, people tend to follow the crowd. And quite frankly, people be, can come addicted to what everybody else is doing. And as believers, as Christians, we need to be careful that we don't follow that trend and follow what everybody else is doing. And, and, and this is what everybody's doing at this time. This is what they're saying. This is how they're acting. This is where they're going. This is what they believe. This is what, you know, how they want to live. This is the way the community should shape. We just don't chase those things. Because they'll love you one minute, they'll hate you the next. Um, yesterday, Anastasia came to me because next week for their high school is homecoming week. And so what they have done is they, um, they've divided up. Every class is to dress uh, at certain periods of time for fun, you know, at school. So since she is, uh, you're 80s, right, Ethan? The 80s. He's supposed to dress like the 80s. And Anastasia comes downstairs yesterday and says, I'm supposed to dress like the 2000s. And I, and I thought, she goes, how do I dress like the 2000s? And I'm thinking, my clothes are all from the 2000s, right? Can I have an amen? <laughs> I'm in the 2000s right now. I mean, how do I dress like, just like you normally do, right? <laughs> I was thinking about my wardrobe, and I'm thinking the 2000s is right now. <laughs> and she said, Dad, the 2000 was 21 years ago. <laughs> I'm thinking, I got some shirts up there I know that are at least the 2000 vintage, maybe in they maybe they even reach back into the 90s there, um, and uh, and and I was just kind of thinking about that. I couldn't describe what people were wearing in 2000, right? Because it just seems like it was. Can you have an Amen, Thomas, on that? It doesn't seem like we're in the 2000s, right? I'm just, I mean, how do I dress just like you dress today? But um, anyway, I, I started thinking about, it, but it just shows you how trends change, though, you know, and how people, you know, do this. And then she started looking it up and, you know, what people were wearing, you know, in, in the year 2000 or 2001 or this and that or something. And, 
and um, you know the 90s and 80s and all that kind of stuff. But but it just goes shows you how you know, and they're doing that at school to be fun. But it just shows you how these trends just kind of come and they go and they come and they go. As a matter of fact, I had I hung on to some of my. I guess I'm getting a lot of personal stories here this morning, but. Uh, I, I hung on to these great sunglasses I bought in the 80s. They were Serengeti's, these Italian-made sunglasses, and, and I, I love them. And uh, when they became out of style, I, I just hung on to them, which I usually don't hang on to stuff like that. But these sunglasses are really expensive. They're really good quality. And I thought to myself, you know what? It's just fun to put away because I, like, I put away an old pager I had just because I always wanted to show the kids as I get older just these funky things that we went through that they'll never see and so I stashed, you know, a shoebox full of things like that, you know, over the years that I thought. And one of them were these sunglasses, and we dug them out the other day, and Ethan's been wearing them to school because they're, like, back in style. They're pretty cool now, right? So he's wearing these, these 80 sunglasses, and, and they're very stylish for now. And I guess all that long story is to say, you, you can see, and you've been around, and you know how those things go. It's just... You know, the crowd will go this way, then they'll go that way, then they'll like this and they'll dislike this, and then we'll want to, you know, do this in our social environment or our school or that, and it's just all over the place. And let me just remind us, the crowd is always going to be this way. People as a whole are going to head in, in different directions, and they'll love you one minute, and, and, and they'll hate you the next minute, and they'll embrace you and think you're the smartest person in the world, and then they'll think you're the stupidest person in, in the world, right? But the point is, just like Jesus here, is that we should never have our actions dictated by what everybody else is doing or what everybody else is saying. And, and you gotta love the Lord here because he was neither impressed with one attitude when he was healing the blind, nor was he depressed by the others when they're now all talking bad about him and grumbling about him because he's going to go to lunch with a person they don't think he should go to lunch with. Let me finish with this. Just learn this. Just learn this. Don't worry what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is saying, how they're thinking about a particular issue or this or doing this or doing that or saying that or living like this or hey, everybody's doing this or, or now, you know, uh, we can do this. It's legal. It wasn't legal. It's, it's good. It's not good or whatever it might be. Again, we just don't get influenced by those things. Um, and neither was Jesus. He wasn't impressed by when the crowds were amazed by what he did, nor was he depressed by when they thought he was really messing up. He just continued to move forward, and let's learn that. Well, between verse 7 and 8, we're not told anything. So the Holy Spirit chose not to reveal what happened during this meal. But... We are told the results in verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. At some point, and we don't know when this was, after the meal, during the meal, when it happened, but Zacchaeus here displays an evidence that his life has been act, impacted by Jesus coming into his life. 
there was this change. This is completely out of character for Zacchaeus. You know what? I'm just going to give away half my goods to the poor. This is the guy that is one of the richest people. And we said at the very beginning, he was a chief tax collector and he was very rich. I'm just going to give away half. And if I have done anything like taken advantage of somebody uh, and gotten more money than I should have for taxes, whatever that is, I'm going to give back four times to those people which was, again, totally out of character in this guy's life, but totally lines up with what happens in the life of a person when Jesus comes in and does that great work. We call it, it's an outward display of an inward change. That's really the heart of the gospel and what the and what happens, and you know it to happen when Jesus is doing that transform, uh, transforming work, or, or as it was put in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, that born again. It, it's, it's something that happens inside a person's life, and, and there's outward displays of the inward change. And you might ask, can a life change this quickly? And the answer absolutely is yes. Now, not every habit of Zacchaeus' life changed immediately, but his heart was changed, and that was key. And we see some evidence of that life-changing um, work going on. I want to do the right thing now. And by the way, that was backed up in the law. You know, if you took advantage of somebody, there was restitution. And if you did something that couldn't be restored, there was, you know, uh, you can find this in the Old Testament. In other words, I want to do the right thing. It wasn't some arbitrary thing. He knew what the scriptures had to say about when you took advantage of people or when you did something that wasn't right, what you were supposed to do. And he kind of took it to the max. I'm not going to just give back plus a percentage what you could do, you could add it plus 20%. No, no, I'm going to give back four times, which was something a person can do, but it was kind of like the max, and I'm going to do the max, in other words. I, I, you know, um, I, I want to do the right thing, and I'm going to do the right thing to the best of my ability. And if a person's life and thinking and doing and living is... Uh, radically changed, it just shows that, you know, Jesus has come into that person's life. But the converse is true. A person could say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I accepted him. But if there is absolutely really zero sign of any kind of change in the person's life or heart or attitude or the way they speak or the way they live or the way they conduct themselves, then, you know, uh, there's always a question, in my mind at least, did it really happen? Was it really words? Because um, when Jesus comes into a person's life, and, and we see it over and over and over and over again in Scripture, and you've seen it over and over and over again in people's lives, and you've probably seen it in your own life, that, you know, uh, again, that, that there's just change. I'm just not the same person. It's not that I, I go to church more, I read my Bible a little bit more, I might be nicer to people a little bit more. No, I, 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 I once, it, you know, the Bible describes it as being dead and coming to life. I mean, there can't be any two polar opposites than that, right? You're once dead, everything is new. You become this new creation, as Roman teaches us. Uh, again, 
And that's what happens when in a person's life when they open the door to this invitation that Jesus extends. Zacchaeus, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to have food. I'd like to share my heart and my life and God's plan with you, if you would. Well, if there was any doubt what happened in Zacchaeus' life, we were told conclusively by Jesus, verse 9, after he said this, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. So Jesus says, hey, salvation has come here because Jesus knew that repentant Zacchaeus was saved. He was rescued from the bondage of, of power and guilt and the penalty of his sin and all that he has done. And, and again, you, you notice that he is no longer called a sinner like he was in verse 7. The people were calling him a sinner, right? It came against a sinner. But now salvation, and Jesus told everyone that. You guys called him a sinner, now he's a saint, if you would. He has been saved. And again, I think there's some great illustrations. I know we take the Bible in what I like to think at least as manageable chunks that we can all absorb on a particular teaching. But it would be good to put all this together, at least in the last few weeks of what was going on here. Because just think of back... Uh, on, the, on the road uh, um, as he was coming to Jericho. And remember, he was stopped by that rich young ruler a few weeks ago we talked about. And, and, and Jesus told him in, in, in earlier in chapter 18, you know what, what's really holding you back are these riches and these wealth, and you need to get rid of it and then come and follow me. He, you know, um, he had to do, uh, uh, you know, uh, his idea was, well, just tell me what I need to do, remember? Just, just what do I need to do for salvation? So Jesus tells him, and, uh, you know, okay, thanks for letting me know. Um, uh, but he walked away sad because he didn't want to engage in what was holding him back from this relationship with Jesus and salvation and, and being set free from the bondage that he was in. But you notice that Zacchaeus, he knew what he was supposed to do. And that was the difference between these two guys, and there's more differences, but just the easy difference to see is that, you know, one guy just wanted kind of a list of things that, what do I need to do, and I'll, I'll do them, Jesus, and you remember we talked about that. Um, but you see, Zacchaeus just said, okay, Jesus, you want to hang out with me? I'll hang out, I'll listen to you, you know, I'm spending time with you. And when he did that, he knew what he was supposed to do, and he just did it. He didn't have to have anybody tell him to do that. He knew exactly what he had to do to repent and to be right with God and with man. And he declared that right off. And, and then remember, because the, the, the rich young ruler with all his money and power went away sad and all that stuff. And then Jesus you know, said after he walked away, man, it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, but it's possible with God. Remember when he said that? This is really a fulfillment of the promise that he had just said not that long ago. You know, Zacchaeus became this, what, joyful giver. He's showing God's impossible work through him. The young ruler who was rich went away sorry, holding on to his riches, but Zacchaeus was saying, I know I need to let go of those things. Those things are a big bondage in my life. 
and, and I know I've done wrong by them, and I know I've earned them in a way that I shouldn't have, and this is what I need to do to make it right, and I'm willing to do that. And he was joyful compared to this other man who went away sorrowful. And so when the you know, crowds were scratching their head, is that a well, rich man can't enter it, you know, and then Jesus said, yeah, it's impossible, but, you know, uh, in other words, their riches and their way of doing it, they can't earn their way into it. But with God, everything is possible. And we have that example literally in the next story that Jesus, in that situation that Jesus runs into. Uh, again, it's important that we see that. What he said, it's possible. With God, all things are possible, and we see that possibility working out here with this very wealthy man. So it's not about what they have or not have. It's all a matter of a person's heart. And, and, and notice that Jesus calls him the son of Abraham. You know, so, you know because salvation has come, because he's also a son of Abraham. Well, he was Jewish, and they were Jewish, and most of them were all Jewish there. Is that really what he's talking about? Well, yes, in, in one sense, absolutely he was, uh, because I'm sure some of the Jews thought, because you're such a traitor to us Jews, we're not even going to consider you part of our race. But not more than just that, he was associated with Abraham, who was known not just because he, of, he was the father of of all those that came to be called Jewish, but because he was a man of faith. Zacchaeus had become a man of faith like Abraham. And I'll just briefly put up Romans chapter 4, which spends a lot of time talking about that, and, and even in the ensuing chapters. But this is why I believe Jesus is calling him, this, don't forget, he now has become a son of Abraham. He really technically was, because he was already Jewish. But notice what Abraham was noted for, Abraham was, and again, this is in the New Living Translation, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation, of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And so again, again, how was Abraham made righteous before God? Not because God, you know, because of his faith. And we're, taught, we're told that. And, and again, so Jesus is insane. This is a man that came now to faith. It's not about who he was born into or a family he was born into. I got an email from a person uh, a few times now, kind of conversing a little bit. But one of the things that they said to me was that they were born into a Christian family. And, and what they were saying was, well, I was born a Christian. And let me just remind us, nobody is born a Christian. It, it's a matter of a person responding by faith. It's not a birthright. It, it's a... It's a it's an action somebody takes by faith. Yes, you can be very young in doing it or be very old in doing it or everywhere in the middle, but it's an action independent of a family or anybody else. It's between that person and our, uh, our Savior Jesus and the free gift that our, the Heavenly Father gave through Him, and it's that faith that we get that connection to the Father. 
It's through faith. It's not through who you're born to. And Jesus is emphasizing that. And finally, he says in verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus says, yeah, crowd, I know you're fickle. You think, oh, it's great, 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 because this is the way I should be is doing all these things and feeding these people and healing all these people and doing all this stuff. And even some of the teaching is great and all this kind of stuff. But hanging out with people like this and talking to people like this and doing this, I don't think that's all. Jesus is making it very clear that I have come for all to seek and to save the lost. Particularly in Zacchaeus' case, right? He was probably lost in some sense to his parents. They didn't want anything to do with the guy, right? He was lost to the, to the, the, the religious there in the community, the Jews, because he was working for the Romans. He was definitely lost to the community because they hated him as a, as, a, as a tax collector and probably lost to all the friends that he had known growing up that weren't part of the tax collectors now, right? And yet he was not lost to God. And just remember, this is the heart of our Father. This is the heart of our Savior. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if a person is like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, which we talked about earlier, who Jesus called the teacher in Israel. The top dog that knew the Bible and taught Jewishness and the Jewish law in the nation. That's how Jesus addressed him, called him the teacher uh, it doesn't matter if it's him, Jesus is talking to him, or the poorest guy that we just talked about on the road, blind Bartimaeus last time, or a person caught in adultery, or a person who's been through four marriages and living with a person, a person who's got fame or fortune, or has nothing, or is disregarded as nobody in society, or hated like Zacchaeus, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost and know that to be the heart of a savior and Jesus walked up to that tree and looked up at Zacchaeus and said man I'm going to come over and I'm going to share the good news with you I want to hang out with you I don't care what anybody else is thinking I realize and I know you need salvation and I'm going to come here to do that and are you I want to come over but Zacchaeus had to say yes or no. Jesus isn't kicking the door down. I want to come over. I, I want to eat lunch with you. This is what I want to do. But, you know, Zacchaeus could have stayed up in the tree. Well, I don't know. Nobody's going to like me. Oh, well, how about next week? I'm kind of busy right now. You know, uh, the football game's on. Sun <laughs> Sorry, it was Sunday. Uh, uh, anyway, whatever, you know, like this or that. No, he was willing and he, he said, yes. And yes, I would love for you to come over. And, 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 and that's the way it is today. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, Jesus says something similar to the church, church in the last days, which I believe we're in in, in Revelation 3.20. And, and it says this. And I think it's got great application to this story here. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now that doesn't sound like what just went down in this story here with Zacchaeus. I don't know what does. 
Now, certainly the application is for the church in the last days, and Jesus is kind of on the outside of the church wanting to come into his people. Uh, yes, that's true. But again, um, I can't think of how many people have left Jesus outside their lives. Oh, they know of him. They have heard of him. They have been around church. They have one foot in sometimes. They have one foot out sometimes. Sometimes both feet are out. Once in a while, both feet are in a little bit here. And they, they know, they've heard, they've seen, they've been around, but, but they never open the door. They just don't open the door widely and said, I'm not letting anything get in the way. I want you to come in. And you're told he is knocking. He is asking and he's waiting. He's not kicking down the door. But the question is, will a person open the door to his life, to Jesus, invite him to come in? And I know there are many of you that have, but they also know that there are some who have not. And they know enough and they hear enough and they think that just, you know, it's about doing a little bit here and making sure I'm always kind of keeping a, at least a toe in or this or that or something like that. But the invitation is clear. He wants to come in. He doesn't want to keep out halfway or, you know what, I'll invite you in Sunday, after, Sunday mornings from 10 to 11, no problem. But Mondays, forget it, Thursdays, Fridays, certainly not Saturday nights or whatever. You know, you, you, you kind of outside, I'll let you in. It's, it's, it's not what the Lord wants. And it doesn't matter where a person has been or what they've done. They're not too bad. They're not too far gone. They've not made too many mistakes. I mean, that's been very clear. It doesn't matter if you're rich, powerful, famous, or, or at the very bottom or somewhere in the middle. He wants to come in. He wants to hang out. He wants you to get to know him and love him and see the great love and work that he's done for you. The question is, will you open the door? Because he's certainly knocking. Well, let's pray. Father, we, I do. I, I hold that out to people that have never done that right now. Or maybe they think they have or they done enough. Or maybe like that person that I've been kind of emailing with the last week or so about well, I, I, I know I have because that's all I've known my whole life. And that's not what we're talking about here. Nobody's born into any sort of Christianity or relationship with you. It's an independent action by each person. Because you make it personal. It's not through what your mom did or your dad did or your children do or your brother or your sister have done or your grandparents, or any other person, or any other relationship. You want an independent, personal relationship with each person, and you came to do that. And we have so many examples of people from all strata of society, over all time, seeing this play out. It doesn't matter what a person's done, or haven't done, or if they think they're just kind of good enough because they don't, they don't need it like other people who are doing bad uh, or they've done too bad that, that it's too far gone. All those things are false and untrue. You are there. You're knocking. You're extending an invitation as you did to Zacchaeus. As we read in Revelation, you're there. You're not kicking down the door. You're knocking. You want to come in. And I pray that those that have never opened the door would do that now. And it's as simple as asking. 
There's no special words to say. There's no special position they need to stand or sit or kneel or, or do. It's just a matter of simply asking. And you will come in and do that great work. And we will see, and you will see that changed life, that you will not, not be the same. And you won't look at things the same because the inside has changed. And, and that affects how we live and how we think and what we do. But the decision is up to the person whether they want to receive that. And I pray that they would. And for those of us that, that know that and have done that, Lord, may we continue to share that message that nobody's too far gone or nobody's too good that they don't need it. Or, you know, it's, it's good enough uh, to, to crack open the door and hear, uh, you, knock, hear you talking outside. It's, it's so much more than that. Because you love and, 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 and you, you don't do it as a... Um, forceful way or as a way just to or any other way other than you're seeking and you know them by name and just as you called out to Zacchaeus you're, you're calling out to each person and may we remind people may we show people that may we uh, demonstrate that may we remember that not get caught up with what the crowd thinks and likes and dislikes and how society is going and this and that but stay faithful to you and to your word, Lord, and to your plan and to your Holy Spirit leading us in our lives, Lord. And Lord, so much of the time we're that, those fingers wrapping on the, on the, on the wood because you choose to use us. You choose to use our voices and you choose to use our lives. Help us to be those people that share that good news that are used by your Spirit to see the love, Father, that you have and that you demonstrated through Jesus, Lord, in their lives and that you know them by name. Draw us close, Father. Do that great work in the lives of people, Father. Continue to do that as time is drawing to a close, Lord. There's an expiration on that. There's an expiration date, and I don't know when it is, and I don't pretend to know when it is, but I know there is one because you make that clear. And I pray that nobody would hesitate or draw back or put it off, Lord, because nobody knows that date. Today is the day to make that decision. And I pray that we would do that this morning, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.